I don't know whether there's an Australian bread news podcaster. Is there an alternative <laughs> universe out there that's sort of doing <laughs> like well, a parallel know? to us? Surely. That's doing exactly yeah, what we're doing, but talking about bread. <laughs> there be. must be the amount of sourdoughs popping around. Radio Brews News is proudly presented by Cryer Malt. With over 25 years in the field, Cryer Malt are dedicated to providing the finest brewing ingredients to help brewers create the foundations of a truly excellent beer. They are your premium brewing partner and they are proud sponsors of this. And this is a Brews News Week. I'm your host, Pete Mitchum. And joining me is uh, from our Brisbane studios or studio, Matt Kierkegaard. G'day, Matt. Good morning, Pete. How are you? Very well, thank you. And we've got uh, Claire Burnett. Hey, G'day, Pete. Claire. And Jimmy Gold. Morning, Pete. We've got a four for again. We're playing um, Ace King, Queen, Jack Dunst. <laughs> oh, four I'm not rock, paper, scissors in for that. Well, the, uh, obviously... Right. The, well, there's uh, four of us, so nobody ever gets to be Dunst. <laughs> oh, wait, what? Which, you know, Ace in this King, age of every child wins a prize, problematic at best. Uh, see, <laughs> see, this is why we've got the young people on, Pete, because you and That's I right. just sound so old. <laughs> <laughs> the young people. Uh, <laughs> how's your week up there? A good, yeah, no, it's it's great to know that we're protected from you, Victorians, mm. <laughs> a non-isolated, uh, non-lockdown state. Oh, that's so rubbish, though, isn't it? And it just a specific few postcodes down there as oh, well. It should, yeah, like, oh, it should ouch. make light of it because it's it, like it really is. You, you hear the stories of distress from businesses that were just starting to open yeah. and they're, they're locked down again, and uh, you know, you just well, particularly the ones who had geared up. Um, not just staff, but have then gone and literally turned the taps back on, you know, fired up the burners and all that sort of thing and ordered stock that's mm. now yeah. going to go to waste. Absolutely. But then the non-benefits, the anti-benefits, I'm trying what's the word I'm looking for? The disadvantages. <laughs> oh, sorry, well, no, disadvantage wasn't the right word, but the, 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 the negative effects, um, you know, spread nationally because, let's face it, who'd want to be in Victoria at this time of year? Um you know, in the middle of winter, school holidays, this is the time that everybody would be flying to places like Cairns. Um, and, you know, you've, you've got, you know, breweries like Hemingway's up there, which is very much geared towards uh, tourism. It's right on the waterfront of the shipping terminal, no international tourists. and It, it is the actual wharf. It is the actual mm-hmm. wharf, yeah. Um, but then they've also got uh, Port Douglas, and this is their season. And, uh, you know, they're open, um, even as the restrictions gradually go. They are geared to service uh, a huge tourism market, and they're going to, you know, by not having the tourists come in, they're going to have these lingering benefits as well. So it's not just uh, little postcodes of Melbourne. It's, it, it's going to continue to be felt uh, nationwide for some time, and, uh, you know... My heart goes out uh, to to everyone that's uh, that, that's impacted. Yeah, and uh, shout out to uh, Senator Grimes and to Dr. Lager who uh, play cards with us regularly. Matt, uh, mm-hmm. Dr. Lager's folks uh, for the last I'm going to say about the last decade or so, partly due to health conditions um, in terms of preserving and, and maintaining their good health, um, they basically drive north. They they've flown more recently as they as they're getting a bit older to a place on the Sunshine Coast for the best part of, of the Melbourne winter. And that's sort of become part of their, if you like, their their lifestyle regime, their, their health regimen. And um, I, I would be sure that there'd be plenty of others in that situation where, you know, uh, as they get a bit older, they go, well, we can afford now to, you know, basically uh, skip winter. And um, <laughs> and so that those sort of economic effects, like you say, um, I'm sure they're not alone in, in that. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, God, I, I just feel sorry for all the Victorians that can't come to Queensland. 
That's it. <laughs> Are you in lockdown, Pete? Have you been re-locked? No. No, no I mean, look, right. I'm one of the sensible ones, I guess, anyway, who who just did. Um, so we, we've sort of pretty much maintained go out only if necessary and that sort of thing. So, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, look, even going to the local supermarket and that sort of thing, you can see that uh, there's still a fair bit of social distancing going on. But look, uh, no. I, I think it'll be interesting to see what happens, you know, in the next in the next few months. But hopefully, you know, like uh, our beer community, if you like, is is a microcosm of it. But hopefully, society as a as a whole um, can learn, you know, can learn a few lessons from it. Mate, it, it's interesting. I did go pop out to for a quick um, meeting at Green Beacon yesterday afternoon. You know, it had, you had to go through the process of of booking, um, you know, so booking how many people coming, giving a phone number, and they, you know, they were really doing it very, very well. You know, the, the, the way they're managing it. But you look at how many staff are involved just to have twenty people in the venue, you know, for an hour and a half shift, um, and I, you wonder how many of these practices are going to keep going um, afterwards about bookings and you know, or, or even pre-confirmed um, payments and things like that. So you know, it's really good for hospitality businesses, is it not, to have to know to know how people many are going to turn up, be there yeah. to know that they're definitely going to turn up, yeah. they're not just going to. It is a restaurant particularly. It is, but then I think a lot of people will just be deterred because they generally just walk in. Or at least that walk-in part of your trade will probably not, you know, mm. it's all going to be pre-planned and pre-booked. Yeah. It is lifting on Friday, though. Um, it, it We're pretty much getting quite close to being back to normal, except for uh, no dancing is one of the... Oh, no. So as of Friday... Oh, I heard, I saw yeah. a headline that said everyone's taking the mick out of Queensland for its nightclub rules <laughs> or something. You're not something. allowed to dance. You can, <laughs> you can order at a bar. You can order at a bar. <gasps> you can. You don't have to book. Um, it's like that town in Footloose. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, do you remember that? <laughs> Listen to you. I know. <laughs> what, what, you and your 80s movies. Um, yeah, so no dancing. And, and we brought them in to be the voice of youth, Matt. Sorry. I like, I'll, I'll watch anything. I, I didn't know that Dirty Dancing had been remade. Um, <laughs> but, uh, so, so is it just close dancing or is it any dancing? Because the way I dance, <sighs> I, don't, um, I don't know. You know, I, I, yeah, I've seen Matt dance. Yeah, no, no, no one comes close. Yeah. Yeah. Least two everyone, everyone isolates themselves. From Although Matt. there is a little bit of uh, loose cannon um, <laughs> about it. And the thing about Matt is too that you, you know, you, you, it's, it's like a car crash. Like you, you don't want to watch, but you can't look away. And um, but then when you kind of get in trance, all of a sudden he's gone. He's just smoke bomb. <laughs> yeah. I don't, I, anyway, I don't know what sort of dancing. It just is no dancing. Mattress. Dancing for me yeah. is probably a. It's a loose. You know, it's a loosely defined term. So who knows. Interesting. Well, if it's moving in time with the music, then I can do whatever because I've never been accused of uh, moving (laughs) in time with the music. Anyway, we've got a week of news to discuss, Pete. So uh, (laughs) we shall. Let's let's get into it Uh, with some good news to start with. That uh, both the Royal Perth Beer Awards and the AIBAs have uh, announced new dates. So after a March postponement, the Perth Royal Beer Awards. Uh, has been rescheduled for August 2020, and entries are open until Friday the 3rd of July. So, ah, that's tomorrow, or today if you're listening to it. Well, it's this week when we're recording. And the AIBAs for 2020, uh, entries are open until Friday the 7th of August, and for details on how to enter, just go straight to rasv.com.au forward slash beer or just click on the note in the um, the link in the uh, in the show notes. So that's, that's good to hear that we've... Um, uh, I guess realised there is a way around it. There will obviously be protocols in place that will make it. Um, I feel for the stewards because I, I guess they're the ones who are going to, I guess, get the the brunt of 
uh, you know, I guess making sure that there's minimal contact. Um, but yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah I mean, good contact luck to the RASV if you are keen, because I, I would imagine, I, I, and this is, I don't know, I would, I would hope that more hands make light work, but it might just be that the numbers may need to be limited uh, in terms of the space. I, I'm not quite sure. Um, social distancing for the judges is, has never been a, a big issue because you could always sort of, uh, I think that the, the tables are 10. We usually have five on a table anyways. Um, for the judges, there's there's a little bit of distancing anyway, but it just might be back of house, just, just might need to, um, if, if you're keen, um, throw your hat in the ring and contact RASV. But hopefully borders will be open for all of the interstate, you know, there won't be international judges this year. You know, we, we don't. No, know presumably what... not. But uh, and I wonder too, though, whether Matt, that means that they're expecting fewer entries um, because there's there's a shorter lead time. Um, so maybe the number of judges required might be commensurably less as well. But hopefully, Victoria, you know, it's months away, so we we, we do right. have some time. But then again, I remember talking in early April um, about you know things being back to normal by July, and they're just not. So yeah, it'll be interesting because you know if if Victoria doesn't sort itself out, you may be sending the beers off to a you know a state that. The, the rest of the state judges can get together rather than travel to uh, Victoria and then be locked down for 14 days when they get home. Yeah, well, uh, look, I'd be more than happy if they uh, if we outsourced all of the hazy IPAs, uh, all the pastry stouts <laughs> and all Not the cartoon sours. <laughs> uh, anyway, um, now some good news. Uh, 18 months down the track after the uh, announcement was made of the, now what's it called, Matt, the, craft beer, the Queensland craft beer strategy. The Queensland we learned that strategy. Queensland... TAFE Brewing uh, Training, which we've spoken about in its planning stages, is finally set to launch. The Minister for Regional Development and Manufacturing, Glenn Butcher, who oversees the craft beer strategy, told Brews News that 380 expressions of interest had been received from prospective students. The course <laughs> will be taught by... No, sorry, what? Oh, no, no, no. Look, mate, <laughs> the, 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 the Queensland craft beer strategy, which you know was launched with great... Well, actually, the plan to create the strategy was launched <laughs> with much fanfare. And the then the, the strategy, the glossy strategy document was launched. Oh, it was a good brochure, It was a it? great it was a brochure. brochure. Um, and, nice. you know, then... Trifold and everything. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was, it was pages and pages and pages. But then <laughs> crickets. Um, and, you know, we've been, you know, wanting to celebrate the, their, their achievements. And, you know, last November, Claire did a story. Um, and, you know, last November, we were told... TAFE was telling us that they knew nothing about a, a brewing course, you know, nothing. And then suddenly um, this week or, you know, last week we've been sort of saying, well, you know, it's 18 months, what's happened, folks? And the, the, the ministers have said, oh, yeah, this TAFE course, last November we hired two TAFE teachers. And we're going, well, last November you were telling us you that, did, that nothing was TAFE happening. didn't know anything yeah. about it. So, you know, um, and there was, there's been no announcement about this course opening. It's quietly gone online um, on, the, on the TAFE website. But... You know, there's been no announcement, um, and it opens in two weeks' time. You know, COVID has obviously made things a little bit different. But you know, that aside, you know that that sort of you know government um, shenanigans or you know clumsiness with, mm-hmm. with how they handle these things aside, very very exciting. Um, the teachers, John Meehan, who when you look at his CV. He has you know a very very long um, career working you know as a lead technical brewer for uh, breweries like CUB and Lion. Um, Hendo, very well known uh, to the program, very well known in, uh, you know, Steve Henderson, um, very well known in craft beer circles, um, is the other teacher. So you've got a really, and it, it's three days a week, hands-on, you know, that they've got the, the, the Brew Lab, which is the other initiative. It, it's very, very exciting um, for, you know, 
potential uh, students if um, you know those students can find out that they've actually got a place. Yeah, and whereabouts is it, Matt? I believe it's southern it's actually, Queensland or southern South, South Brisbane. It's South, South Brisbane. Brisbane. I believe it's yeah. the right. South Brisbane Institute of TAFE or in, in Institute of TAFE um, is where the theory is taking place. But then Cooper's Plains is just to the south of Brisbane um, where they've got a technology precinct, which is where the brew lab itself is, which is a little, uh, I think, a 600-litre brewery or a 300-litre brewery. Um, that they could, so they'll actually be brewing. And uh, this week we haven't published our June trademark um applications yet but TAFE has applied for a trademark application and I don't have it in front of me but it's for a brewery name isn't it, it? it's for a brewery name it's yeah. you know like uh, mm. students froth or something like students froth brewery or something along those lines so there's you know so, so there's pretty serious and if you want to get hands-on you've got some great teachers um, it's a very comprehensive looking course and it's you know not just a two weeks um, practical and then you know, a lot of theory. It is twenty weeks, two days a week, uh, being in the brew house, brewing, um, and and learning from uh, you know some sort of industry leaders. Expressions of interest. I've already had what was it three hundred and eighty odd. I'd, so presumably, the more they get, the uh, I guess the further down the track they'll they'll pencil it in. So if you do have an interest in it. Get amongst it. That's it. And the other thing I saw, the the fees are around about, you know, if you pay full fee for the course, it's around about six grand, which isn't... Six insi- and a half. Six yeah. and a half, yeah. It's not insignificant, but at the same time, you know, for a, a qualification that's going to set your brewing career on, um, you know, it, it's, it, it's, it's not too bad. And then also if you qualify for some of the um, uh, discounts, um, and, and I'm not sure what qualifies you for those, it's, it's as little as $1,500 to do. Yeah, a, there was a fair difference in the uh, in the discounted price, so I thought you'd you'd definitely want to look into mm. um, how the subsidies yep. come about. There's only a few places you can go and get a brewer's qualification in Australia, right? Mm-hmm. Well, it depends. Like there's it depends by state. Doesn't New it? South Wales yeah. has a TAFE course now. South, South Australia, Australia has a TAFE course, and I believe the Queensland course licensed the New South Wales course but then completely rewrote it. So, you know, the, the teachers involved have been, uh, you know, involved in making, because it, it, it is a little bit different in that it's so practical and so hands-on and also 20 weeks um, of, you know, fairly intensive of work. Um, and then you go up to the university-level courses um, like Edith Curtin University. Edith, Edith, Edith Cowan. 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 Oh, sorry, Cowan. Yes, Cowan. yes. Um, University John Curtin. Edith Cowan. John Curtin. Yeah, that, that's what I was thinking. So, but there is a Curtin University, isn't there, as well? There is. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. So that's what threw me. <laughs> sorry, West right. Australians. From that to, you know, being the, the bearer or the labeller of, of bad news, um, <laughs> our next story involves mandatory pregnancy labels, which we, which we thought had kind of uh, died a a worthy death, but it seems to have been reignited in a 45-page review made public today. FSANS, uh, which is the uh, Food Standards Australia New Zealand, made some minor concessions from their original report, changing the health warning text to pregnancy warning, as well as introducing an extended transition period, giving alcohol manufacturers three years instead of two to implement the label. FSANS justified the decision, saying that only a small proportion of fetal alcohol spectrum disorder cases would need to be prevented to offset the total cost of label changes. Mm. It stated that the average cost estimates uh, cost estimates of label changes per product may have been overestimated and implementation costs would not be unreasonable for the industry. Mm. Andrew Wilsmore, the CEO of Alcoholic Beverages Australia, said that while the industry supports the mandating of pregnancy risk warning labels, mandating colours would impose the biggest cost on consumers without any scientific basis for no measurable benefit. 
discuss. Yeah, so um, this review came after the Food Forum ministers back in April uh, basically said to F Sands, whatever you want to call it, that it was unreasonable, that this is like a ridiculous idea, why are you doing this? So at the time, it sounded like they were going to go totally back to the drawing board, scrap everything um, and redo it, basically, to fit in with more of industry demands. But now they've come back and they've literally just done the two things, which is to me was like totally detrimental to what they're even trying to do. So they changed it to health warning instead of pregnancy warning. Uh, no, pregnant or the other way around. Yeah, yeah, that's the one. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And um, so basically, they're just aiming it at women instead of the whole point was to start a discussion in society in general about it. And now they've said no, it's just pregnancy warning. So it's just for women, like all it's putting on women, all this kind of stuff. But I mean, like <laughs> then this is like a nearly a two or three year process now to decide on this bloody label it just seems like such a bureaucratic mess and well, I've not been happy it, about it. I mean it's, it's such an emotive debate because mm. you know obviously um, you know fetal alcohol spectrum disorder is an absolute um, issue for, for the country to, to deal with um, and you can't make light of that um, but then you've also got FAIR and you know the FASD um, lobbying and support groups mm-hmm trotting out, you know, victims of FASD. Um, you know, it's, it's a highly emotive campaign. To, to me, on, on one hand, you know, I, I think, you know, this suggestion that um, the repackaging costs are completely overestimated, um, you know, when I think they were saying $100 million or whatever. And, you know, $100 million just for brewers and then $400 million for the whole industry, yeah, they reckon. Brewers are willing to, um, you know... Uh, repackage you know they rebrand all the time you know you, you look at the amount of brewers who are releasing one-off beers in packaging and things like that that they and have to get three designed year transition and a three-year transition yeah, you know really like right. th- th- that's the thing but but that's where you make an ambit claim to you know and, and you sort of argue your case by arguing the, the the extreme of it which is exactly what the um anti-alcohol campaign is doing which creates this highly polarized argument that's not based on facts um and, you know, I, I guess to me the concern is how tokenistic this is because the causes behind fetal alcohol spectrum disorder, can we just, we'll just call it FASD, um, FASD um, you know, are much more complex than a label. And we're not seeing any, um, what I would regard as legitimate evidence that putting this label on will actually change the behaviours of the people that are contributing to the problem. Which they even said in that original report. They said that alcohol labelling doesn't change people's behaviours. That's literally what a line, and I made sure to copy that line and paste it direct from the thing mm, instead but of But poor old Claire, because of that, Claire has copped an absolute pasting on Twitter from <laughs> from the um, campaigners because the headlines have said, you know, um, what was it? It was no, no measurable, measurable benefit. benefit. And... Which was not our quote, by the way. <laughs> no, that, that wasn't our quote. But then they're also, you know, so so the, the um, you know, fair and their their mm. um, allies have been retweeting this, you know, tearing it apart. Um, and the, the there's a difference between, you know, they're arguing that the quote was saying there's no measurable benefit in tackling um, FASD um, when it was actually saying. There's no measurable benefit from yeah. putting these labels on the can in dealing with yeah. FAST. If there was actually a way to deal with the problem, then the industry would have to take it on to be good citizens. But doing the labels 
it, it, it is, you know, like it is the thin edge of the wedge. That once they kick the door open and have the labels on, then you know it, it's the, the the first step of a much broader campaign, and that is my issue mm-hmm. um, with it. And that's it because it's a band aid on a bullet hole. Like, they, what do you think this is going to be doing? It, the whole point in it being the not measurable benefit bit is the measurable bit. Are you saying that if anything changes in terms of people getting this syndrome, if if that changes in the next few years, then you're going to put that down to having a label on a beer can. That's but it was, oh, Claire, I would suggest it's not even that effective. It, it, somebody's been shot on the right-hand side, they put the, the, ba- the band-aid <laughs> on the left. <laughs> well, because uh, as, as long-time uh, con- loyal contributor and uh, a long-time listener, uh, Sarah Gall pointed out, if anyone today, any female who is planning on or is getting pregnant or is pregnant um, doesn't know that they shouldn't be drinking alcohol, you know, you could put the the whole label could be the label could be the whole can, and it's it's not going to make any difference. Do we do we also have it on coffee? Do we have it on every unprocessed food? Nitrate like if they ma- mandated yeah. it yeah. that it is on everything that you know, don't operate heavy machinery. Um, I mean, I, where do we where does it stop? And, and and to me, like, and you know, I, I saw Sarah's point, and I just sort of like, yeah, with at risk of tiptoeing through a minefield, mm-hmm. um, you know, th- there is a certain educated privilege that comes from knowing you know presuming that everyone would know these things you know like if you've uh, got a basic level of um, education and things like that then you, you you probably are going to know the the, the risks of alcohol and Matt, i would were, suggest if you know how to get pregnant you know you shouldn't be drinking alcohol are you, Matt, are you serious like but that's the thing i know I, I i don't know you know you, you don't know what people's education levels are you don't know what their family um you know circumstances are you don't know what you're modeling but those are all social issues um you know the the I, I, again my feeling is that people who don't know that they shouldn't be drinking when um they're uh pregnant um or you know, potentially don't even know they're pregnant um you know the, the 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 social issues that you're looking at to solve to make them aware of it aren't going to be solved by a label on a beer can um, or or a bottle oh, of yeah. or changing, changing more or adding a, an extra color. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Exactly. All, all of those things, and that's and, and that's where and, and yeah, there's already a thing on the can, right? There's already a, you know, it already, exactly, Jimmy. It already exists. It's already there. Yeah. We're, we're just we're just having to change the color and yeah, is it yeah. the size? Yeah, they've got an actual warning now on it. Um, I can't remember what it is, but they've got instead like some actual text instead of just the image. Yeah. But I mean, again, I mean, that's part of the reason why this is happening now is because, yeah, most cans, a lot of cans have that on it or bottles of alcohol, whatever it is. Um, But not everyone did. So if everyone had done it (laughs) like a few years ago, then we wouldn't be having this issue as hard and they wouldn't be pushing as hard for it now. They're basically saying the alcohol industry is irresponsible. They don't care. They didn't put this mandatory label, uh, this voluntary label on. So now we're going to make it mandatory, which is crap. But, I mean, they still haven't decided on it yet, so the Food Forum ministers have, like, another three months or something to go back and say, jog on or whatever. And I think at this point they're like, well, we're smacking our heads against a brick wall, so we'll probably just agree to it. But here's a great example, and I wanted to reply um, to to some of these on Twitter, but Twitter's just not the place you have a nuanced discussion. (laughs) But there, there was a reply, somebody retweeted our story, and this is the response. Extensive research links toxic tetragenic effects of alcohol in pregnancy with multitude lifespan health risks for the newborn that hold huge social economic costs for the whole Oz community. Cost of health warning minuscule in comparison. Responsibility! Exclamation mark. 
And so going. <laughs> what does that mean? Yeah, like. <laughs> We're not disagreeing that this is bad. Did, did, well, that well, it's it's a problem, but this, this the, the simplistic approach of putting uh, a label on isn't going to solve the problem. You know, if there is a wider issue around the awareness of alcohol, that's fine. But it's still, you know, having a warning on there. Um, anyway, it, it, look, yeah, I, I think we've just sort of discussed when enough, but it's just very, very interesting to see how polarised the debate is and. I, I think a lot of the people, when you look at the um, the things that they're saying, this isn't actually about um, AFSD. It's AFSD is a stalking horse for what they want is a much wider issue. Uh, they, they, they want to go much further in terms of banning um, alcohol um, because that's where they start talking about the carcinogenic effects of alcohol and that you know there is no safe level of drinking um, because they completely disrespect you know, regard any positives of um, that, that come out of. Um, drinking and by labelling it as a as a carcinogen, and you know, if you're going to do that, you know, um, ban barbecues because you know the the the, the burnt meat is a carcinogen, <laughs> the nitrates in bacon is a carcinogen. You know, the things that we put on our plants to make you know yields, crop yields are carcinogens. Um, so you know, anyway, nothing left to say except to say that if you want to get perhaps a head start on your competition and get your labels ordered, I would ring Rellings Labels <laughs> Stickers and Packaging. Uh, on Beautiful. call them on one three hundred eight five two two three five to find out more, and they will be able. They'll put any color, any size, any warning. Uh, presumably, they'll also be able to uh, put the warning message in the seventy-two most commonly used languages that are prevalent <laughs> in Australia as well. I don't. Did they think about that? Um, anyway. There was. There actually was. Somebody said they wanted it in Maori. And somebody said they wanted it in an Aboriginal dialect and they were like, piss off. <laughs> which which <laughs> of the 450 <laughs> in, still in use dialects of the Aboriginal language would they do it in? All of them? That, that's the thing. Once it's on there, then you've got a, you know, a very natural um, argument that we are a multicultural society. And you know, by putting it on in you know, one language, it, it just opens the, the, the minefield, you know, the... the it opens something, you know, the Pandora's <laughs> box of where do you stop yeah, and, yeah. and how many languages do you have to target and do, you know, because it is a problem, you know, like it, it, we do need to make these things, you know, known to the community, but is... The, the, isn't isn't that why we created the picture? Well, and the, 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 that's the thing, picture, yeah, so if you're pregnant... Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. oh, sorry, see what you mean, yeah, that it's a picture, yeah. not... Or, or, or does the picture say if, 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 if you've got a beer gut, you shouldn't be drinking more beer? <laughs> well, I mean, that's just true also. We're worried about your health. <laughs> Speaking of opening, Byron Bay Brewery venue closes, uh, but brewing to continue. Uh, Lion has today announced the closure of the, now I'll put my own uh, quote marks in here, hospitality side of Byron Bay Brewery, citing the effects of COVID-19. In a post on the brewery's Facebook page, the company said brewing would continue at the site. The statement said the company was looking for another venue that will provide it with a better space. Uh, has anyone been there, Jimmy? You're probably young enough to and cool enough to have been in a backpackers joint yeah, <laughs> in Byron Bay. I hadn't I haven't been since it had a rebrand and a and a clean up, but I went there a couple of years ago. It's only it's pretty small. I don't are they making I all was, of the? I was surprised that it, it made the news that because because my understanding was that it was a effectively it's a you know it's a small kit. Um, and this it's not oh, it's a slight not that small. whatsoever on, on the fine brewers who have pumped some award-winning beers out of there. I'm looking at you, Scotty Hargrave, uh, now at Bolter, who 
squeeze some magnificent beer out and of Alistair, the, out of the, Gillespie the is kit there. Knocking out some cracking beers down there, you know. Yeah. Like it, it's... Uh, and look, award-winning. I think. Uh, and God, we come back to Hefeweizens. Just when we think they're out, they pull us back in. Um, <laughs> I think their Hef won a uh, a gold medal, or perhaps even a trophy, going back five or six AIBAs. But I. I was down there last November when Stephen Beaumont was here for the um, AIBAs, you know, and I took him yep. around southeast so Queensland. We went to Stonewood. We went, you know, we sort of had a bit of a tour down to Stonewood um, and Mwollumbar, and then, you know, just as we were leaving, I thought, oh, we'll sort of duck in there. And the the, the beers that Alistair was making are just, like, cracking. In, in fact, um, you know, Stephen had some very, very um, positive, you know, effusively positive things to say about the beers, Um that you can get only, pretty much only in the venue. Um, Lion uh, revamped it, and you know, back when James Atkinson was uh, writing for us, he did a tour down there, and they had you know the, the Little Creatures hospitality team. Um, you know that they had lifted the venue is small, but that's part of Lion's strategy to have you know the Tiny Mountain, Umundi Brewery, um, Byron Bay Brewery, you know the the, the James Squire brew houses that give a local presence. To, to these brands, and so you've got a touch point that they hopefully can scale with beer produced off-site. So the Byron Bay Lager that was released um, late last year as well um, is made in Sydney, and so you need the Byron Bay touch point, lest we have that kerfuffle that CUB had when they ac- actually did drive to deceive people with with uh, the, the, their licensing of the product and making it look like it came from there. So, you know, it, it's, it's a legitimate thing, but... The, the the venue has always struggled. It's not in the main, you know. It was a bit of a backpackers out of the way place. You had to travel to get there. It wasn't in the main drag. Um, the, the 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 previous operator, you know, hadn't exactly endeared himself to the local community. Um, and then you had the, the 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 CUB kerfuffle, which gave a bit of a pull over the venue. And then Byron Bay famously doesn't allow McDonald's and some of the big. Um, corporate chains in there um, to operate. So suddenly you've got Lion buying and it, it's on the nose to the community down there. So I, I think the venue has been operating against that and they, they did say that they are looking at, um, they're going to continue brewing on site and they are going to um, look for an alternative venue that I presume will be somewhere you know, closer to the heart of Byron Bay. There we go. Uh, our last story for the day, Founders First doubles craft beer distribution. Founders First told the ASX today that it had doubled the number of stores nationally which stock its beer from its group of breweries, saying the deal will put the group in a very strong position to deliver significant growth. So good news there. The craft accelerator and hospitality business, which made its debut on the ASX last year, said that it had secured more than 2,000 new pack beer distribution points across major liquor retailers. Uh, so that's good news, certainly, for those who are in the Founders First fold. But it's also it, it then, you know, it's that uh, the halo effect um, that I think more brands in particularly the bigger uh, major liquor retailers will um, continue out uh, into, uh, into other brands that aren't necessarily part of the Founders First. So good news for them. Yeah, definitely, and I think like stuff like this is obviously fantastic because they've they've got a group together that is now able to have that clout in a like national sort of setting, um, and as you say, it opens the floodgates for everyone else to come in, which is obviously fantastic, especially if the, all their beers do really well, um, which would be fantastic for everyone. So yeah, nice one, guys. Yeah, and in our last little bit of news, uh, which is not on the uh, on the running sheet, but. Uh, Radio Brews News is up against the Sunday sesh. 
this week in the, um, <laughs> in the Aussie Beer Pods League. Are we uh, at the top still? On, we're, we're undefeated, undefeated? on top. Yeah. Nice one. But uh, this is the big one because, uh, yeah, this is where, uh, as you sow, so shall you reap, um, <laughs> Steve Wood from uh, Sunday Sesshu. Look, it's a great – it is a little bit of fun and we don't really sort of take it seriously at all. Um, but if you're not going to take it seriously, you may as well be on top and not take it seriously, you know what I mean? <laughs> um, but, uh, but this is the one I think he's probably been dreading, you know. It's, uh, he's got to come up against us. Oof, so it'll be a, a, a ding-dong yeah. battle. Who's after us? So, is it Step Brewers? Step Brewers, uh, you know. I listened to, to them the other day just to be like, who are they? Like I've not – I didn't really just – I haven't heard of them before. And uh, the guy, they sound really funny. They, yeah, they're really funny. Don't but tell they, people that. <laughs> Sorry. Just, but they, they review beers and stuff. Like, they don't do what we do. But they, they do like, it badly. People shouldn't listen to them. <laughs> right, that's from Matt, okay. No, well, uh, only because we're going to be up against them in a couple of weeks' time. We, we don't want to be... <laughs> And look, this is the great thing. If you go back to, you know, when Matt and I first started this, we were we were talking to crickets. Um, there was there was nothing else out there. Yeah. You now go, you know, ten years down the track, and not only are there so many uh, high quality and really well produced uh, beer podcasts, but everyone's doing something slightly differently. Everyone's either coming at it from a different angle or using a different format, or whether it's you know the interview technique or the narrative. You know, there's there's all sorts of mm. um, different ways of of doing it, which I, which I think is really great because it says a lot about. Um, people not trying to cut each other's lunch, um, and I don't know. I don't think that's uh, you know a deliberate thing, but I think everyone's sort of saying, "Oh, I, I love listening to these podcasts, but you know what? I, what I'd really like is you know beer reviews." Okay, I'll do my own. So I think it's I think it's great. Yeah, it'd be all, it would it'd be terrible if you know every podcaster decided to you know sort of do the hazy IPA approach where everyone does the same beer because yeah, um, yeah. it becomes very boring. But and and. and you know, hopefully it continues because Pete. You know, you and I've been. You know, we were two very early bloggers um, in 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 the industry. You know, when blogs weren't, weren't a thing, and then suddenly there was this flowering of blogging, and you know, there was this rich um, diversity of opinions and approaches and things. But then it dies off because it does become very time consuming, and you know. You, you you see it. People do it for a while. They do it very well. But then when it's their second, and life gets thing, in the way. If you're not getting coined for it, it's, yeah. it, it is very hard. And it's very easy to put your golf clubs. You know, get really into golfing for a while, and then suddenly the golf clubs go in the shed, and you don't pull them out. Um, and it, it, it's a little bit the same. And that's that's why congratulations to um, you know Steve um, for putting together the tables because it does give us a little bit of interest, and you know it does it it. it Gives us something to look forward to. And, you know, I sweat on the results, as I, as I sort of said last <laughs> week. You know. I do have to say that the Step Brewers guy sounds like the Love God from Triple M. Have you ever heard the Love God? No. He goes real gravelly like that. <laughs> 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 that was my attempt at doing no. it. Wow. <laughs> but, yeah, anyway, have a listen. Just be careful. If he, yeah, if he puts out a call for a uh, cute little panel operator girl to, <laughs> you know, take calls or whatever. Right. Uh, she's she's contracted, all right? <laughs> Matt, 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 mental note. Okay. Make a contract for Claire for this yep. week. All right. Thanks, uh, now, time to dive into the mailbag. All letter writers will receive a Dead Blue Bakes cookie. That's a bicky. And they'll go into the draw to win a mixed six-pack thanks to our good friends at Beer Cartel who sponsor our Letter of the Week. And don't forget, um, throw us a bone. Drop a few shekels in the cup if you can. But um, more importantly, uh, review us on iTunes or send us in an email and uh, also uh, send emails and, and share the uh, the podcast to 
your group of friends. If you think they would get something out of it, if you get something out of it and you think, oh, yeah, that's pretty good, you, you might like this, um, send it out there. You can also join our Facebook group. Just uh, search Radio Brews News and use the password Soapbox. Uh, Claire. Hello. You and I had a uh, an email this week from Rob Stewart. Would you like to read through that one? Yeah, of course. Because um, this Rob, is worth a bit of discussion, I think. Yeah, definitely. Rob says, I know you guys are always talking about independence matters until it doesn't, in reference to the rage a lot of consumers feel at announcements of brewery sales to Big Beer, then the eventual return of these, those same consumers. Just in the last few months, I've seen quite a few cases of independence doesn't matter until it does on some beer Facebook groups. Um That'll be interesting to know which ones. These are people who have recently started drinking craft beer and nascently discovering the ownership of the brands they're drinking and their feeling towards this. Being from Perth, this is mainly directed at feral. I guess because people don't know that they're owned by Coca-Cola. Um, it raised the question, at which point does independence start to matter in the evolution of the individual beer consumer? As a person who got into it craft over 15 years ago, there wasn't really the blurring between independent and craft that we see now. At what point do people re- realise they are not the same thing? Ooh, <laughs> he's opened a bloody a, a big bag of really, there. A really good, well-made point from Rob. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is something that I guess, yeah, we have been banging on a lot about. At the end of the day, uh, yeah, Matt and I subscribe to the same theory that every beer purchase we make, we are making uh, an ideological choice. We're making a, a decision about where we hope to see the We're future casting a ballot for so, the future of uh, the, the brewing industry. Yeah, um, and maintaining that because I guess we're, we're old enough and ugly enough to have seen a time where back in the dark distant days there was a wide variety of beer. If you go back to you know the the, the gold fields, the gold rush in, in Victoria and um, Bathurst in New South Wales that brought lots of um, foreigners over seeking their, their fortune and a lot of them brought their, their brewing traditions with them. So we had, you know, on every street corner, you'd have a different little tent or a pub or, a, you know, whatever it was, serving all these different beers from all these different places. It then, you know, by the 80s, we were all drinking exactly the same, um, you know, mo- moderately hopped, slightly bitter, pale, yellow, Australian-style lager. It may have had 50 different brand names, but it was the same beer. We've now moved away from that. If you if you didn't know that that happened, you'd probably sort of think, oh, but this this great range, you know, hazy IPAs are going to be around forever. Well, no, they probably won't, you know, because we said that about Cascadian Dark Ales. We said that about Hefeweizens and, and Whitbeers, and those sort of things have dropped off. So I think it, it uh, Rob touches on a really interesting point that there are different consumers based on your experience um, who will look at it look at the importance of independence differently. And at the end of the day, yeah, if somebody puts a beer in my hand um, and it's been bought for me with love, not to take the piss or not to, you know, uh, oh, let's see what he thinks of this. Um, But I might hear, I bought your beer. I will drink it and enjoy it no matter what it is. Um, But when I'm making the purchasing decision, I probably won't buy, you know, if if my mate loves mainstream lagers, I'm probably not going to get him or a hazy IPA to start with, you know, to say, well, yeah, I thought you might like this. Um, I'm more likely to give them a, a Kolsch or a Summer Ale, whatever it might be. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think the conversation is important about why independence does matter. And, I've, I mean, I was thinking about this, and Josh Quantrill from Capital, he sent us that email, Pete, um, talking about, yes. you know, small brewers um, and gaining that following and then getting sold out. But I would say that, small brewers 
don't really get sold out. I'd say they get bigger and then they get bought out. And at which point that they've already expanded past their locality where people can be quite, not not militant, it's not the right word, but feel strongly that they want to keep that as an independent and a local. Um, But I feel like as we get bigger as an industry, as more people drink us, there will just inevitably be more people that don't care about independence because the audience is wider because I don't care and and, and yeah. you know, go and listen to the chat we had with Pete Brown because we did go from craft and talk about independence but you know one of the thing you know Pete's very much into music as well and we've all had that you know friend who is right into music um, and loves obscure bands um, but then as soon as everyone else discovers them the you or know, as soon as Triple M plays them or as soon as Triple M yeah. you, That's it. you hate them because you don't you don't actually want them to be popular you don't want them you, because you want to have I just this. want them to be mine. Yeah. <laughs> it's that ownership. It's that in, that feeling of being close to something that you have ownership over. And as soon as it gets into that wider world, you're like, oh, I don't, I'm not as loyal to it. Great scene in um, High Fidelity with Jack Black, you know, sort of taking the, uh, you know, taking the piss out of a guy who comes in to buy, you know, I just called to say I love you, you know, sort of, uh, it, Go watch it, great movie, but 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 the scene, and you know they they want to be the you know they want to be the arbiters of what's good and feel that they know something that other people don't, and if that's your motivation for hating for championing independence and hating the the, the sale, then I'm sorry you're wrong because you know ultimately we want beer to be successful, we want more people drinking beer because that's great for the industry, um, you know if if you want to keep it as your own little private plaything. Um, and you don't want other people to enjoy it, and if they do, that makes it uncool because they're not worthy, then out and out you're wrong. Um, you know, if independence matters to you because the way that you see supporting independence and the vibrancy that it brings and the competition it brings and the pressure it puts on the big players to make sure that they are keeping up with trends and you know serving a wider public than the narrow markets that they wanted to serve in the late 1990s, um, then... You know, absolutely champion independence, um, and you know, you know, fly the flag high. But it's you know, it ultimately comes down to your motivation for doing it. Um, you know, I, I think you know because otherwise you're just in- introducing a rampant snobbishness um, into the industry. Because let's face it, the big brewers can make some crackingly good beer, um, as good as anything that's in the the craft industry. They don't service the niche markets as well, and that's why we want vibrant small brewers. Um, because they do service the the, the the niche very well. Yeah, it's like, do you drink it because it's independent or do you drink it because it's good and it tastes good and it's quality, mm. right? And that used to be much more clearly defined. So I've always worked in independent bars and breweries who never sold anything owned by, you know, multinational or whatever. And it was always, the independent stuff was always better because it was more flavoursome. Um But that's changed over the years and it's very, it's a very different landscape now. Like I say that all the time to bar mates is I could open a bar and stock it with Lion and CUB rangings and have an incredible tap list that would rival anything from five, ten years ago. You know, everything from an XPA to a hazy to an imperial stout to a barrel aged, whatever, to a sour. I could do that from literally a Lion or a CUB account, which ten years ago, five years ago, you just you couldn't do that. And obviously that's a bit of the strategy that they're sort of they've realized that and that's what they're doing to secure those uh, taps again. But you know, it just because it's independent doesn't mean it's a great product, you know. Um, I've had plenty of beers that, you know, maybe were great when they left the brewery, but they, because they were a little bit more obscure, they sat on a shelf for six months. 
and you have it and it's not so great and you know but if I know that the popular product which is owned by CUB or whoever uh, is turning over quicker it's fresher it's delivered cold whatever else the case is um, that's going to be a better bet for my money yeah than you know and if you're else. making those kind of commercial decisions as a bar owner a manager um, hospitality group that's just that's just a c- clever commercial decision totally you wouldn't go with craft if you weren't a hundred percent sure of the quality every single time the supply every single time like loads of other factors this is why people go for CB and lion totally yeah and I mean it's 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 messy and and we there are products that aren't so good that make it out into the market and you kind of go okay well I'm still paying you know x amount for a keg or a case of beer and if the big guys are doing it better in some cases and you go this is making it really difficult um but it's also that thing of you know i think we get really locked onto independence with beer but then we go and shop at coles or woolworths or absolutely you know we buy our bread from wherever but i guess it's you know you can't be well you can you can try and be perfect at everything but that if you were absolutely minted imagine having to buy everything i would love to buy (laughs) go to my bakery every morning and pick up a fresh loaf of bread and you know but there's a whole lifestyle that needs to be integrated to to do that wholly yes again pete brown talked about that you know (laughs) as much as um because one of our regular listeners didn't want to buy pete's book on amazon because it was sort of anti-amazon yeah um but when, when we talked about it um uh, you know, Pete's have said, you know, Amazon was the easiest business for him to distribute it through because he had problems with all of the others. And, you know, so uh, you, you, you do have all of these in, inherent yeah. arguments. But actually, the, the point that Jimmy made before is a, is a great one as well. Not only does the vibrancy and um, range of small independent craft breweries put pressure on the market to serve those smaller markets, you know, and, and the big guys have to be mindful. They can't just dismiss... The, the markets that they don't want to operate in, the quality of the beers coming from the, the big breweries is also putting incredible pressure on small independent breweries to make better beer. Because if, 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 the, if small breweries are just putting stuff out and people are buying it because they're independent, you know, there's not necessarily the same demand on them to make their beer better. And we have seen some examples where beer, you know, throughout the ages, craft brewers haven't concentrated on quality. So, you know, it, it, it's awesome that we have small breweries keeping the big guys honest, but then also if the big guys want to play in those markets, they're keeping the small brewers honest as well. Yeah, yeah, it's, an, it's a good little relationship. And I actually spoke to um, a chap who owns a series of, well, his company owns a series of um, bars and stuff all over the world um, and one in Melbourne. And uh, he was just like, look, as a multi-venue type place or as a chain, you have different demands on your... Um, what what consumers want and what you can financially do. So it all depends, like on the diversity of the venue, the different types of the venue, as to whether that whether they care about that and whether they can financially bring in independent beer. So I think if it's yeah, as we always say, it's only important if you make it important. It's only <laughs> it only I, matters if it matters I, to I, you. Yeah, well, you always come back to uh, what, what what I think is sort of our unwritten number one rule uh, on Radio Brews News. The ultimate test is don't be a dick about it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, it, it, it's important, but don't be a dick about it. Yeah, and maybe just put in some research and learn a little bit more about where your beer comes from. And I think that's really key for any 
any product or company is just know who owns it and where it's coming from and who you're actually supporting and all the rest of it. And it's very hard but these days. It's harder than ever to discern who owns who. Oh, and yeah, and that's what the majors yeah, exactly. rely on yeah. is that you, the, an average consumer who walks into a bar will not know totally. that that brand is not a CUB brand yeah. or is a CUB brand. They, they rely on the fact that they've got all different branding and you think, oh, maybe that is independent. And then you'll go for it without having any further knowledge about it and the bartender might not know or whatever. Yeah. But that's why it's so important to educate hospitality staff and as a consumer, educate yourself and figure out what's important yeah. to you. And at the risk of blowing our own trumpet, um, in in terms of the beer industry, play, things like um, Australian Brews News, Radio Brews News and This Good Brews Week is um, – Bruce Newsweek, is that there's a resource there. So it, it may not be on the tin, but you can find out. You, you can go to the Crafty Pine. You, it, there's so many resources. So I don't know whether there's an Australian bread news podcast. Is there an alternative <laughs> universe out there that's sort of doing... <laughs> like well, a parallel know. to us. Surely. That's doing exactly yeah, what we're doing, but talking about bread. <laughs> there must be. Well, I don't know. You've of sourdoughs you, you, popping around. You guys made me think about it. When I'm in the supermarket, yeah, there, there are some brands I know, but then how do I know that between the last month when I bought this and this month, it hasn't been bought by... You know, um, Goodman Fielder or, <laughs> well, yeah, you know, Nestle own. or I don't know. Like, well, do you know I, what I mean? Like, yes, yeah, yeah. I tried it. You, you, you do try to buy, um, and particularly once you have a family, you have a completely different set of, um, if you like, business levers. So you want to give the best for your family, but you also want to make sure that you can afford to give them enough um, and, you know, sustain them and get them to school with, with good choices and all that sort of thing. And yeah. so sometimes, yeah, you go, and that's a dollar a kilo. I'm, I'm going to go with that one. Exactly. You know, yeah, no, I don't care not, who makes my uh, baked beans. You know, like that's the thing. Right? <laughs> yeah, that's the sad thing about it. But, but like milk, for example, like milk I'll I buy go, from the farmer. Yeah, because yep, yep. I've seen the downside. You know, exactly. And if you if you become aware of it, if you educate yourself on that, then you're much more likely to make an informed decision based on your own values, as opposed to just pick it up and be like, whatever, mm. I don't care. But the interesting point too that um, both Josh and uh, Rob made yeah. were things like you know you go up you go about and you you become brand attached you you become an ambassador for that brand you're a walking billboard for that brand because you wear their t-shirt and if somebody says oh what's a good XPA you go oh ABC Brewery um, and then all of a sudden that changes and it does you know it I feel for people who who sort of feel that that bit of their their of what makes them them part of their identity has sort of been you know. Chipped away, and but, but the that's other thing too. We have said, you know, that, that if you're going to die in the ditch, you know, if if a brand is going to build itself on being independent, and then suddenly disappears um, off the independence map because suddenly it doesn't matter anymore, everyone does feel a little bit deflated, and it makes it harder to attach to the next one that comes along. Uh, now, at the risk of uh, sliding seamlessly into our next uh, topic um, about style, um, for our, our last two letters, it. Um, an interesting point you made there before Jimmy made me think that it, it, it used to be, you know, five, ten years ago, yes, things were very different. Now it's easier, I think, for people to make – if they want to make that independence decision, it's easier to do it because it used to be, oh, but I have to drink whatever because they're the only ones who make it. Whereas now I think we've 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 broadened the style spectrum yeah. uh, considerably. So if you go, well, actually, it's not so much ABC's – Kolsch that I like, it's Kolsch that I like. So I can now, if they've been bought, I can now, I can still get a Kolsch. So I can still drink to style. I can, I can drink the beers that I like to drink and still follow independence. So I think that's probably become easier, although the more that the um, the independent breweries are bought up by the big guys, the the harder that is 
to say, oh, but actually now it's the big guys who make more of the the cultures or whatever. Yeah, and it, like, does it mean that you stop drinking that beer as well? Like, I guess there's some people who would vehemently, mm. absolutely, the day something sells, they, you know, they... Yeah, we saw it with Bolter and all that, didn't yeah, we? Yeah, but a, that's a lot of, like, talk. That's yeah. the thing. Whether they're actually going to put their money where their mouth is and not buy Bolter. <laughs> At the end of the day, <laughs> if you paid 20 bucks for a four-pack, yeah, you're not you're tipping not, it down. The, you're you, down you, might, you might tokenly tip one down, yeah. you know, so that you can <laughs> <Totally>. Instagram it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Yeah, but after but already having given you're drinking CB the money. Going, oh, yeah. yeah, well, actually, the money's already spent, so oh, I might as well not, not waste the beer. But I'm not going to buy another one. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's exactly. always the way. Uh, Claire, we got a lot of response to um, Matt's special chat, um, our, dipping our toe into Spotify, I noticed. Yeah, yeah, you all laughed at me when I said I was going to go and do the Pete Mitchum experience. But now, yeah. <laughs> Who was the Pete. first one to actually go on Spotify? It was Matt with uh, Richard Watkins <laughs> and Scotty Hargrave and a chat about a lot of different things, but um, primarily, I guess, the, the the big thing was about beer style. Yeah. Yeah. So um, Adam Forbes said, I thought this was a very special episode from two very respected brewers. It actually made me catch myself and think, do I really know that much about beer when I probably haven't tasted at least 60% of beer styles? Who am I to judge or comment beyond my perception and preference of a beer? That's very mature. Well done, Adam. Um, but do you think that's right? Do you think that the average beer consumer hasn't actually tasted sixty percent of beer styles, Pete? What would you say? Oh, hundred percent. Yeah, and, yeah, and definitely. Look, I, I that is writ large every time I sit down at a, a judging table for AIBAs or, or whatever it might be. Mm-hmm. Um, when you look at the the style guidelines and you see the number of you know different categories, one hundred and three, one hundred and six, something like that, and it's and it's growing each year because the more one style sort of splits off into two or three, it'll be one or two years before those are then re- reflected as their own as their own category. So you've got the nineteen, I think there are nineteen trophies for for each style. And then within those styles, there are, you know, so international pale ale, Australian pale ale, English pale ale, American pale ale, blah, 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 blah. Um, so I think, yeah, a lot of people uh, would be surprised at the number of beer styles that they haven't tried. Yeah, it's concerning, isn't it? Because there's so much good stuff out there that, I mean, I'm getting all nostalgic, but mm-hmm. when, when we opened Tipler's Tap, shout out to Tipler's Tap back in the day, um, <laughs> this is you know, when was that, 2012, 2013, something like that? So that was... Best, was it Thursday night, Wings? Yeah, something like that. Yeah, oh, like wings, wings every day. Kilo, and wings just, by the kilo? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Sounds um, great. Yeah, it was awesome. But um, so we had <laughs> 10, 10 taps. Days. And I mean, it was just like, there was no prescribed... The The only real rule was we just had to have 10 different beer styles because the whole concept of the bar was just to showcase all these amazing beers are getting made. And, you know, you'd have... Anything you'd have a Hellas, you'd have a Rock beer, you'd have a Doppelbock, you'd have a Hefeweizen, you know, you might have a pale ale, but it probably had some sort of thing going on, you know, juniper, a or, twist to it, yeah, something <laughs> really interesting, and just all these cool beer styles. And I just I see it. I mean, there's still the independent bars that, that do that sort of stuff um, now, and it's 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 really cool. But I guarantee those styles don't sell as well. But I'd love getting a saison or a Hefeweizen or a Mertzen or a, you know, any other. Yeah, I think too. There's a lot. There's a lot to be said for you know the promiscuity of the craft beer drinker. Who it's not so much going in and looking for. I want something familiar, or I want something that I always have. Um, but it's not necessarily just I want something because I haven't had it before. But I think a lot of it is oh that brewery I haven't I didn't know they made a hef. I've never had their hef before. I wouldn't mind seeing what they do with it or how they do a, a saison. Um, 
so I think yeah, that offering offering a range, a choice is is um is definitely the the way to go. Uh, and it does, as you say, you know, like you just said, then Jimmy, you know, at Tipless Tap, you had ten different beer styles, and you were only touching on 50% of the available beer styles. Yeah, and they rotated. Like, it was keg to keg to keg. Yeah. So, you know, in a week, you might have, you know, 30, 40 But at any one time, like you, yeah, you, you, you can't have you, – you're still only, you know, representing – showcasing 50% of the uh, of the available, you know, beer market, which is great. So it means that there is always something new to try. Um, and, look, commercial reality is well, – we've seen it with Hefts. We've seen it with Whitbeers, um, English brown ales. I had a, a shout-out to uh, Killer Sprocket. I bought some um, uh, their uh, amber ale and uh, one of the, just purely malt-driven beer, but absolutely magnificent. That's but great beer. Very hard wow. to get. That is a great Ooh, any other. That's we do a great like our beer. brown ales up north as well in England. That's like our thing, like – yeah, exactly. It, and I haven't seen that, apart from very recently, come back. I've seen a couple of brown ales knocking around, and I'm a fan. Mm. Bring them back. Yeah, I made that comment yeah. in the in the group um, about, like, a I look at it, a tap list or any sort of menu, like a restaurant menu, and you're always going to have the top three sellers, and it's probably going to be, you know, a cheeseburger, a steak, and a parmy, right? And they're going to be <laughs> the majority of your sales, but doesn't mean you don't have other options for people as well. And I think that's where, I guess, I, I guess so much of it is made up by bottle shop, um, you know, selling cans or bottles of beer into bottle shops. And that's where people are just going to grab something that they know because they can't try it before they buy it. You know, generally it's just walk in, make a decision, get out of there, go home. But in a tap room or a bar scenario, like you do have a bit more engagement. So you do have a little bit more ability to, to, to upsell or convince someone to try something that's not the, Diddy hype pale ale or the hazy. <laughs> I was going to say because that's all I see most. Of totally, that. and you know, I'll give another example. We had a um, at a brewery brew pub I was working at. We had a um, a hefeweizen. It was a summer styled hef, um, so not super bananary, but just bloody delicious. And <laughs> I got all the staff just to upsell it because you know you always get that question. People walk in and they go, "What's good? You know, what's good today?" And you know, that's what we use to go. Okay, well, this is what I'm really digging and we just launched this hef and it outsold the pale ale on that day because all the staff just went try this and everyone went holy Mm. this is so (laughs) good and they just otherwise probably never would have chosen the hef right like no one walks in and just is gravitating towards a hefeweizen or those weirder styles so well they're not even weird they're like very normal and delicious (laughs) it's just that people i I honestly think we we will see a resurgence of hefeweizen and i think it's a little bit like lager originally uh, you couldn't get a craft lager. There was no such thing as craft lager. Mm. And it was all because, no, I don't want to brew a lager. You know, that, that's what the big guys yeah, do. Yeah. But I think the reality was a lot of craft brewers weren't good enough to brew a lager. Yeah. That, that it's wasn't, quite a that difficult wasn't, because, style, it, because they realised there's nowhere to hide a fault. So yeah. anything, any any slight, you know, you, and it could be in the design of the recipe or the execution of the brew, but any fault will stick out like a third ball on a racing dog. And all of a sudden <laughs> you've got, oh, no, oh, we, we don't want to do lagers. So I, I think Hefeweizens might be a similar sort of thing where a lot of people, uh, you know, okay. had them and then, oh, it was just all about banana or it was just all bubblegummy or, um, you know, it was so dry. And I think now we're, we're going to start getting back to, as, as our collective skill level rises, I think we might, um, we might get them. Because I, I think there's definitely a market there for it with the uh, – uh, uh, with the consumer and the haze, the people that dig in the haze, it's it's the original hazy. That's it. It's That's a, it. A proper Hefeweizen, yeah. mm-hmm. and you know, you even had the dumbed down version, the Crystal Weizen, mm-hmm. which was you know now 100 percent haze free. Um, yeah, it was. 
Hefeweizen was the original hazy. I would love to see a tap takeover at a at, at a venue that's all hazy beers, but none of them are IPAs or pale ales. It's all just Hefeweizens <laughs> and Australian yeah, as soon pale ales. see hazy, that'll be it for them. But that's the thing. It, they'll all be hazy beers, but they'll be old hazy school. Hazy Kolsch. Yeah, hazy yeah. Kolsch and, like you know, uh, well, that leads yeah, sparkling ales. And on to that, uh, the next comment from Jason Poffley. Uh, Many people new into the world of beer will tend to have an overinflated sense of confidence in their knowledge. It's only as they delve deeper through the experience that they realise the gaps in their education. Would you agree? Agree, disagree? Hopefully they discover. Hopefully they discover. 100%. Yeah. And that that quote, quote, Claire? What? Darwin said it best. Ignorance more frequently begets confidence than does knowledge. (laughs) (laughs) Very good. Like that. But yeah. that's hundred percent true. We we used to say um, in my first sales job, um, I was taught a little knowledge is a dangerous thing because all of a sudden you get this overinflated sense of confidence once you know a couple of things about something, um, and it's not until you actually go to the end of the book and find out that there's five hundred and seventy pages, not three, um, <laughs> that you realise you've got a lot more to learn. Um, and I think Scotty and uh, and Richard really it was a, just a really terrific chat, but it really did highlight the fact that yeah we. Um, we may not know as much as we like to think we know, and that not knowing everything is not a bad thing. As I always say, if I if I walk into a room and find out I'm the smartest person in the room, I'm in the wrong room. Because <laughs> what am I going to learn? That wouldn't happen too often, I'm sure, though. No, too. definitely not. The day, you know, the day <laughs> you stop learning. <laughs> <laughs> well, I just think yeah. that would slip through to the keeper. <laughs> Uh, all right, um, so let's wrap this thing up. Thank you very much to Cry Malt, to Rellings Label Stickers and Packaging, and to the guys at Beer Cartel who sponsor every week. Thanks very much, Matt. Talk to you soon, Pete. Thank you very much, Claire, for joining us. Thank you very much, Pete. Thanks, Jimmy. Thank you, Pete. Uh, well, listen, have a have a good week, you guys. Enjoy the sunshine up there and um, uh, enjoy the isolation. Yeah. We certainly shall. Oh, well, we miss you. We're back. We miss you, Pete. We're back to normal. There's no dancing. So I no cancelled my dancing plans for oh, Friday night. That's devastating. Yeah, not the worst thing that could happen. Yeah, look, dance at home. Yeah, yeah that's good. Cool. Get that yeah, yeah. Some point. Anyway, <laughs> this has been Bruce Newsweek. I've been your host, Pete Mitchum. It's been a pleasure. Thank you very much for listening, and we'll see you all again next week. And we're out. Boom. Again. Uh, all yeah, right. not nice. bad. Nah, well, we've got better ones on file. Yeah. I need a little, you just got to polish it with a bit, a little bit more northern. Boom. Don't forget, if you like what we do here at Radio Brews News, you can help us out in a number of ways. You can sponsor the show either by a small monthly contribution or through a one-off donation. You'll find details in the show notes. You can also review us on iTunes or whatever your favourite podcasting service happens to be. Let us know what you think and help others find and discover our shows. Finally, you can tell us what you think about what's going on in the beer industry by emailing us at producer at brewsnews.com.au. 